Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss, and my guest today is Glenn Hatchell. That's right, the Glenn Hatchell who was on the show in May at the center of an experiment we conducted then, trying out an extended new segment called Ask the Trainer. It featured our friend Glenn, a former WMNF programmer, and now the Behavior and Enrichment Manager at the Humane Society of Tampa Bay, as well as an accomplished dog trainer and behaviorist. We invited listeners to call or email them with questions about their dog's behavior or training. People seem to really appreciate the help Glenn provided, and of course the information he offered was also helpful to many of those listening. We consider the Ask the Trainer experiment a big success, and Glenn has kindly agreed to return today for another edition. So in a few moments, Glenn will welcome more questions about dogs, behaviors, and training, and other canine concerns. And in the interest of equal time, he had mentioned the last time that we might open this up to cat questions as well, so we'll of course uh, welcome cat questions today in addition. So... For your opportunity to ask the question, or ask the trainer, I should say, a question, I suggest you start calling now to 813-239-9663. Tend to work best because if Glenn wants to ask you a follow-up question or two or clarify something before he replies or as he's uh, responding, he can do so where, of course, that option isn't available with just a question from email or text. Nonetheless, you do have the option to email your question to dj at wmnf.org. Or you can text 813-433-0885. Again, that's 813-239-9663 to speak with Glenn directly. Or email DJ at WMNF or text 813-433-0885. So we'll take our first calls or written questions in just a moment or two. But let's first have a chat with Glenn. This is Ask the Trainer with Glenn Hatchell on Talking Animals on WMNF. Good morning, Glenn. Hello, Duncan. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And yourself? I'm doing well, thanks. Great. So I think we might have a couple of callers, uh, eager beavers, right off the bat, so we may get to those presently and just come back to some other questions that I have for you. But I guess one thing that we didn't touch on before, and I'm not sure in some of our other conversations we've had, we've got time to speak about this. So I just thought today I'd say, so you've kind of chosen a career path, obviously, that to oversimplify means work days involve dogs, dogs, and more dogs. And uh, that's just the way you like it. But you were, if I'm not mistaken, I don't remember exactly, but you were in the corporate world previously, is correct? That's correct. And you want to talk at all about what you did then and how you kind of launched yourself towards uh, dogs, dogs, and more dogs? Um, well, yeah, actually, it's a pretty simple story. I think it was 2009, which was, if you remember, the economy was in a toilet. It was in the toilet and um, transitioning to a new president at that time. And um, uh, around the middle of the year, my wife and I both found ourselves without a job. I was without one. Hers was going to go away at the end of the year. And um, so we started looking at different options we could do to work together. And we wanted the ability to be able to have our animals at that time. And um, then all of a sudden, we discovered uh, pet sitting, basically. And through that, I had the opportunity to go through a, uh, I call it dog training boot camp. And um, I knew at that time that was going to give me, that was going to give me a skill that couldn't be outsourced. Right. <laughs> and, um, oh, very important something concern. I could do, 
Plus, it was also one of those cool kind of things. It's like, who wouldn't want to, you know, be involved with animals? So it kind of, in some ways, it was out of necessity, but we were so excited to do it. And here we are 12 years later, and it's worked out pretty well. That's great. Yeah, it's it's really cool. And I guess dogs kind of always spoke to you, I guess. So that was as you were sort of mulling this this sort of slightly forced uh, career change. I guess dogs figured prominently in the equation just because you were were you a dog person from childhood? From, well, yes, I had a a dog as a child who um, liked to bite me a whole lot. Wow. I say every I say That every, sounds like something for Ask the Trainer. <laughs> I say everything that I do is trying to make it up to Chips, my childhood dog. I see. But, um, <laughs> but you know, it really was in a way it was it really wasn't one of thinking I want to work with animals. It was just wanting our own pets at home who we loved being with and doing stuff with. They're with us, you know, regardless of what we were going to do going forward. Yeah. You know, we didn't expect it for, to unfold with as much fun as it has. That's great. Well, sometimes have things have a way of working out. So uh, That's correct. All right, cool. Well, let's let's take our first caller. And again, just for people who might just be tuning in or having just tuned in today, we're uh, returning to a thing we tried last May uh, with Glenn Hatchell, who's the behavior and enrichment manager of the Humane Society of Tampa Bay, and a accomplished dog trainer and behavior uh, expert. So it's called Ask the Trainer, and so we're just welcoming questions. Again, I think, at least, that it works a little bit better by phone just because if Glenn has follow-up questions or wants to clarify something, then he can do that uh, versus a a text or an email. But you're also welcome to email. First of all, the number for calling is 813-239-9663. But you're welcome, of course, to email nonetheless at dj at wmnf.org or text 813-433-433. 0885. So let's take our first call. We're just sort of taking them in order. Uh, hi, you're on uh, Talking Animals. Ask the Trainer with Glenn Hatchell. Hello, it's you. Hello, are you talking to me? Yes, I am. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, hi there. Yeah, hi, this is Sid. Hi, Sid. Uh, I, think hey, we're, Sid? I think we're talking with, yes, sir. I think we're talking with Glenn Hatchell, the guy that used to carry that fine musical satchel on the traffic jam. <laughs> I kept doing That's right. Well, you know, he, he was, as I mentioned, a former WMNF programmer and, and a stellar one of uh, longstanding. So uh, we miss him here, but it's nice to sort of work him in the uh, the talking animals door until he maybe we can persuade him to do a music show one of these days. Yeah, I want to ask about it. There's a good dog training command, kind of like I used to use. It's like when you're having a love fest with your dog, you're scratching your head and all that kind of thing. And basically say the party's over, you know, time to get on. I used to say, that's all. And they would learn with that. Is there a good thing to do like that, you know, uh, to let Glenn, to let the dogs know, okay, the party's over, time to go head off. <laughs> Actually, that's, that's, a great, that's a great question, Sid. Um, there's, a couple of, there's a couple of things I like to do in, in, an, in a scenario like that. Um, I think, one, from what you're describing, and I imagine sitting on a couch having that love fest, um, usually if I were going to be done with it, I would want to do some sort of action that's kind of a closure to the dog, so that could be, all right, nice job, buddy. Give a little bit of pet, a bit, little bit of a petting, and then stand up and step away from the couch. And then, so in other words, kind of bringing it to a closure. That would be one way in that scenario. But then there's also what we call, from a from a a, a training aspect, a release word. So if we were, let's say, for example, if I'm going to get a dog into a sit, if I ask that dog to sit. Ideally, that dog is going to continue to do that until I ask him to do the next thing, something else. And sometimes that next thing is free, which is 
okay, go ahead, go about your business, do whatever you want. Free is a word we end up using um, at food time. When we put food in the bowl, put it down, have the dog sit, free is the word that my dogs know that that means I can start eating now or going out the front door. Over time, what I found is having that release word, whichever way you built it, the dogs kind of picked up. It's like, okay, that ended. I'm going to go find something else to do now. But often, often we have to give them, especially if you're doing a love fest on the couch, you may want to end it, but you may have to provide something for them to continue with, like a toy. Because they may not pick up. If you use a release word and just use it, and they realize party's over, they pick up on it after a while. But, yeah, thanks for the feedback. That's good stuff. Absolutely. Loving all the good music always, Sid. Thank, right, thank, thank you, thank you so much, Sid. Bye. So, so it sounds like, uh, as with many of these things, if there's some something to transition to, that's easier than just what what Sid I think was initially asking about is like, hey, party's over. But I think if exactly. I follow what you're saying, it's like let's let's give them at least something brief or otherwise or, or even pretty vague. But let's give them something to go to, and that's the transition that then would achieve what what Sid was looking for. Right. It gets the dog's brain off of you and onto something else. Great. Okay, let's take another uh, call. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Ask the Trainer. It's uh, Glenn Hatchell. No. Go ahead, please. Okay, I, I called to ask you a question. Uh, I'm having trouble with fleas, man. They get on my dog really bad. I give them the flea bath and all that sort of thing, and it come off and gobs, and about three days later, it seems to be that many back on there again, have to do it over. Is there anything to this? Uh, dishwashing liquid sprayed on the top of the ground to retard the uh, production of speed, uh to retard the numbers. I would have to defer that to a uh, to a lawn person. That's a good question, and I really have no expertise from the lawn aspect. Um, but what it probably sounds like is happening is that the eggs are there. So even though you're killing the live fleas, the um, eggs are remaining, and they're hatching after that. So there's well, a couple things. The situation is that, uh, that I tried that kind of halfway before, and it seemed to have a low but I don't know how much to put. And the poison that you put on top of the ground and water in, I, I have other animals and such that I'm afraid that uh, might exactly. poison, poison the ground. Right, so exactly. What I'd like my, to do is spray everything with uh, the dishwashing liquid again, and I was saying if you had some expertise in that area, give me a little guidance, because then the blind ain't no fun, and it don't always work. You yeah. have a good um, Thank you. Does it? Does the dog come inside? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I okay, well, what... Fireworks what, and catch. He gets upset with fireworks. Yeah. So what it could be is that it's not it's not that it's not the fleas outside. It could be eggs on the inside. And there no, is... No, I spray inside. I spray with okay. uh, egg effective. You know, you got to, you know, like put it down and keep everything off of it till it dries. For right. the inside, that does a good job inside. I'm not concerned with that. But the outside, they seem to be taking over at certain times of the year and uh, i was concerned that maybe this spring of uh, dawn or some kind of dishwashing liquid that might have an effect but not a poisoning effect right two things so i would you. check i really appreciate it you have a good day bye-bye uh, okay thank you caller for your question go ahead glenn just for people who yeah, might I still would... be interested in hearing the rest of your answer yeah Two, thing, two things along that line as far as the outside. Um, one is diametaceous earth, uh, which also can be used on the inside. There is human-grade component and also lawn component, and that does a really good job of um, 
killing flea eggs. And also there is a component that's in, I'm going to use a product name here, uh, 20 Mule Team Borax. And in a dry state, that can also be effective. Okay. That seems like one way or the other, that should uh, at least help the situation, even if it doesn't completely uh, eradicate it. Yeah. But I think everybody right now is dealing with some fleas, just the way their weather's been, yeah. one aspect or another. So, yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a tough time to be flea-free, uh, flea so, yeah. uh, which is not... Well, we be, don't want to be flea-free. I was just going to say not to be interpreted now. by our <laughs> beloved uh, music director here at the WNF Flea. So, all right, let's take another caller, and then we'll get it to uh, one of our emailers. Hi, you're on Talking Animals. It's Acid Trainer with Glenn Hatchell. Go ahead, please. It's you. I think I hear you breathing. Maybe not. One last time. You're on the air. Do you have a question or comment for Glenn Hatchell? I do have a comment. Okay, please go ahead. I'm sorry. I can't tell when it's my turn. My name is Kathy. I have a question about noise sensitivity with my Labradoodle. I do a lot of puppy raising of Labradors. However, I own this doodle that's got way too much poodle in her. I had a roofer here for two days, and it was nonstop barking for two days. Mm-hmm. Help me out. Um, is it just in general? Do you know if there's things that she's barking at? Did you ever get a sense that there was something she was barking at? She doesn't like the men outside. That was one piece of it. And she doesn't like the banging, the noise. Got it. Got it. Um, so a couple of things that I would try to do in a situation, in a, in a scenario like that is I would have some classical kind of music on in the house as basically as loud as you can stand it. That's going to possibly drowned out the outside noises a little bit, but not so loud that it's also going to be, you know, if she's noise sensitive, <laughs> that may, that's a consideration you're going to have to have there. Um, I would try um, using essential oils or possibly Adaptil, which is another product used for, um, basically, I'll just put it in the category of aromatherapy. I have found a significant um, success rate using essential oils and helping dogs calm, but it's usually one of several other things, like with the music. Um, and there's also, if you're not familiar what with... What did you say a, the name of the pill was? I'm sorry to interrupt you. Oh, that's okay. I'm sorry. Um, an essential oil. I mean, a lot of people just use lavender, and there's some that are done specifically for dogs, and there is also right. a product called Adapt. Till A D A P T I L and the DAP stands for dog appeasing pheromone. And within a DAP till, there is a synthetic pheromone that is similar or mimics the pheromone that a mama dog puts out while she's ha- while she's nursing the puppies and such. So that has a calming effect on a lot of dogs. Um, so we use I use a combination of both. But again, I think like with people, aromatherapy with some dogs is more effective than it is with others. You know, a lot of it depends on ev- other things. <clears throat> excuse me, that are going on at that time. So I would try essential oils, some calming. Kind of classical music and the third thing i would check into is a thunder shirt i don't know if you're familiar with a thunder shirt they've been around I for am. a long time uh-huh. and what i have found once i started using thunder shirts the intent behind it is that it's going to help a dog not be so scared or reactive to loud noises and the way it accomplishes that by is by calming the dog down and a lot of times, just that calmness gives them enough support to be able to deal with the scary noises better. 
And I think in your case, a lot of this talks about the barking. I'll just give you a person example, a personal example. My cattle dog, if I put a thunder shirt on him, it knocks out about 70% of his barking. And that was something I didn't even expect. I put it on him for thunder and then started seeing these other side benefits. But the idea here is that we've got two approaches that are go or three approaches. One, we're going after it from an auditory aspect. So we're knocking the sounds out. We're going after it from an olfactory aspect. So we're bringing some sense that could help calm. And then we've also got the thunder shirt, which gives it a wrap. Basically, it's one piece that wraps around the dog and gives it kind of like a snug. And that will um, help relax from the physical aspect. So that's kind of my three-pronged approach. Again, it doesn't always work, but it's successful enough that that's what I always start with. All right, caller. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for your call. And your question. Again, we're doing uh, Ask the Trainer on Talking Animals today. The expert, the trainer in question is Glenn Hatchell, again, Behavior and Enrichment Manager with the Humane Society of Tampa Bay and a veteran dog trainer and behavior expert. And uh, he's taking calls at 813-239-9663. And you can also email in your question or uh, for Glenn at dj at wmnf.org or text 813-433-0885. And one of our emailers actually was responding to the gentleman whose name I unfortunately didn't catch with the flea question, and, and this emailer is saying tobacco dust spread around the ground either kills the fleas or drives them off. Had great success with it, adds old hardware stores carry it. So um, huh. that could be another thing to try. Interesting. Yeah, so thanks for your comment, Bablandia. And uh, all right, let's take uh, another uh, caller. Hi, you're on Talking Owls. It's Ask the Trainer with Glenn Hatchell. Hello, it's Donna. Can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Sure can. Oh, great. I can't believe that you're on today. I need to desperately have an 18-month-old golden doodle. Got her. (laughs) I know, I know. It's my sister's daughter. Got her when she was, like, three months old. She was perfect. She almost potty trained her. He learned commands. It was wonderful. But my sister who sleeps in one bedroom. I sleep in the other one. And she started sleeping in my bedroom, which is fine. I love her to death. But when I have anything in my hand, she thinks it's time to play. And time mm-hmm. to play to her is biting the you-know-what out of my heel. And I stop and I tell her, no. I mean, I'm like literally trapped in the backyard. Do you have any suggestions? So let me make and sure I understand. Very hyper. <laughs> what you said is that you've got something in your hand and she's biting at your heels? Yes, because she thinks I'm going to. That's just what she does. She'll face me, and then if I move, she will bite my heel. If you so, if you've got a toy in your hand and you throw the toy, what will she do? She'll go get it, come back, and she'll sit like she's supposed to, and then mm-hmm. she'll come back. If I pick it up, she'll bite my heel, and her teeth are getting really sharp. And oh, I can imagine. My hands, you know, yeah. but so there, mostly. So there's, go ahead, sir. There's a, there's a couple of things that come to mind. One, I would try having several to- instead of one toy. Try having several. So you can distract her even more and possibly maybe it would even confuse her a little bit. But much part of what I'm thinking is similar to 
um, Sid's call of earlier um, is that you want to get her enough things to where her brain has got so many more options than just you and one toy. Okay, we have a thousand toys, so that might work. If I I throw a towel, she will jump up, grab the towel, jump on the couch, growl, and then jump down if I move and bite my heel. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> does she does she get to play with other dogs? No, she is. She has no other dogs at all to play with. Okay. We have a wonderful dog park, but there is a dog there that doesn't like her, and so we can't take her there. And okay. she's very hard to walk. She is aggressive towards bicycles, people. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's like she's strong. So, okay, I would. That. Yep. Um, so I think there's. I think it, it kind of sounds like to me there's a couple of things that's going on. The main thing is you've got a very energetic young dog. Um, that you know that's just based on age and size. Right. That, you know that dog would be. Um, so I my recommendation would be to one if you can find a doggy daycare. See about having her go to daycare a couple of days a week because that'll give her interaction, social interaction with other dogs. We'll do a tremendous amount to um, help, um, uh, not relieve, to release uh, an outlet for a lot of that energy, and in her case, that adolescent energy, which you're probably still looking about another year year and a half of it, I'm guessing, based Uh, on what you're dealing with (laughs) right now. It wouldn't surprise me if it was about a three-year period of this, which isn't unusual for some breeds, um, okay. but every dog's an individual. Having said that, every dog is an individual, so they're all different. Um, but I also would, it sounds like, well, one of the things, dogs are masters of routine and excel at, at okay, what are we going to do next, mom? Oh, I know what this process is. And a professional trainer, positive reinforcement trainer, can get you established in a routine with her that would be able to help channel that energy, that impulse activity that she's got going on into um, a structure to where she is easier to control is kind of the best way I can put it from a general aspect. Um, I would, on the website for the Humane Society in our adoptions area on that website, there is a link to training resources. And Mm -hmm. in, in that on that page, there is a link to recommend to some co- uh, training behavior consultants in the area that I recommend. Um, I'm assuming you're in the Tampa area, so there yeah, are ones Tampa. in the Tampa uh-huh. area. Um, so you'll find some options, and I've got it on there from geographic. So based on where you live, you'll kind of get an idea of this person being close to you. Plus, there is an online training um, company that we've uh, are doing some things with now as well. That may also be you may also find advantageous to uh, try them depending on your schedule. But I think it's something you can you can address and be able to channel. Um, probably with a combination of training and possibly some different harness equipment, possibly a front hook harness can help with the pulling sometimes because that'll turn the dog around a little bit. So that's one of the advantages. I don't know what that is, a front hook harness. Is that the, like the little bass looking thing? Um, well, it's a, instead of being a, a harness that hooks on, you know, up on the back, like you would see if, gotcha. if a dog was going to pull a sled around, that gives uh-huh. them the full power. But a front hook right. harness is actually hooked at their chest between the front legs. So when they go to pull, 
what happens is because of where the leash is connected to the harness there in the front, if the dog goes to pull, what it does is just turns the dog back around to you. So the dog really? can't get okay. that yes, can't okay. get that full leverage power. Um, thank you. All right, Donna. Thank you so much for uh, well, thank both of you. I really no, absolutely, Donna. your advice. Okay, You're well th- welcome. thanks for listening. Thanks for your call and your nice comments. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye bye. Okay, bye bye. So we also had another emailer just basically kind of um, I think seconding one of the things you said um, or earlier, Glenn, about uh, just for uh, noise issues that Kathy uh, was raising, just that this the, she uses YouTube calming music for her dog, and yep. it really helps. And and that that, that dog, or her dog, is noise averse, so it's kind of even more significant. So yes. anyway. and even here, and even here at the shelter, um, we have I have portable speakers in most of the kennels that's playing calming music for animals um, and essential oils because there's nothing negative. There's no side effects that it could affect them negatively. And, you know, it stuff smells pretty good. Right. What's what's not to like? Yeah. Okay, so we're going to take another caller, and then we'll get to one or two more uh, emails or texts. So, uh, hi, you're on Talking Animals. It's Ask the Trainer with Glenn Hatchell. Oh, go ahead. Did we lose you? Shoot. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, it is you. Go ahead. Did you have a question for Glenn? Yes, hello. Um. I'm calling Moraline. My two pit bulls, we have two female pit bulls, they get along with each other. Uh, we live with my elderly father, and he had an Italian Mastiff. Now, the Mastiff recently passed away, and he'd been around since they were puppies, so they were very used to him. But we recently got my father a new Mastiff puppy, and they're fine with him in the yard. Um, but when he comes in the house, one of my female pit bulls has been extremely aggressive towards him. The other one doesn't seem bothered by him in the house or wherever, but it's my smaller one who seems to not want him to come near the bedroom or to come near us. And I'm trying to find the best way to get her acclimated to having a new dog in the home. Mm. Um, what's her age? She's three years old. Okay. And just curious, your, the other, your other pity is how old? She's five years old. Okay. And the new Mastiff is another Italian or a different, another kind? It, it's a King Corso, another Italian Mastiff. Okay. He's oh, nine I months love. old, but he's 92 pounds, so he's oh, much yeah. bigger no, than I'm, the two pit bulls. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I'm very, I'm very familiar with, with Connie Corso. Connie, well, there's different pronunciations, but, yeah, King Corso is how we always pronounce it. Yeah, I go um, with the simple one. <laughs> oh, so, all, okay, so even at, so at this age, he's already... Um, significant, he's already significantly bigger than her. Yes. Okay. Um, when they are out in the backyard, is there? does she play and engage with him? She does play and engage with him. If he goes around like her back end, though, you can tell she gets, I think she's nervous or a little scared of how big he is. Uh, yeah, and a lot of times, though, um, is he, um, has he been fixed or is he still intact? He's fixed. They're all fixed. Okay. Um, and, you know, some some dogs just have that you know, that bit of moving in the back end. Um, I know my pity will do that because her back end is weaker than the rest of her body, I think. You know, looking at her, it just looks like it would be. So there could be a lot of reasons she's avoiding it a little bit. And you may be absolutely right there. It could be one of you're bigger than I am, and I'm not going to let you be in that position, you know, to come up behind me. Um, So when they come back in, some of the things that I would think about is the sequence, who comes in first, and 
Um, yeah, there's there's just so many factors that could be playing into this. There could be a possession aspect. How long has the the new dog been with you? We're just coming up on a week, so he's just been here about a week. Ah, okay. okay. Right now, like he stays in Dad's bedroom, the girls stay in their bedroom. But mm-hmm. I noticed it, like she was eating, and I had our bedroom door open, and he came by the door, and she started growling. So I think maybe it was more like a food possession. But Could she also well seems be. to be very possessive of me as her owner and yep. things like that. Yeah. Um, so I think there's there's probably, or there's not probably, there's most definitely some some newness. Some new, a newness factor going on here. We often talk about a rule of the root, excuse me, the rule of threes, which is three days, three weeks, and three months. That usually after three days, the dog kind of starts learning what to expect next. Um, and then after about three weeks, they've kind of learned the routine and what happens pretty much each day. And, you know, mom goes to work or comes home at this time or those kind of things. And then usually about after about three months, the dog really is acclimated into its new life, so to speak. Um, And sometimes we think about that from the new dog in the house, but often that applies to the existing dogs in the house as well. So one thing I would think is definitely give her, you know, a couple more weeks to get things acclimated. The fact that they're playing outside together is really, really encouraging because that would tell me that generally there's not, there's not a personality conflict between them, so to speak. So you may be on something about the kind of a possession a little bit on the inside. I would say since there was a food aspect, I would probably keep them separated from each other inside, but that doesn't mean they can't each other. So if you have a way to where, let's see, you could gate the Mastiff off into one area that the other ones, and he can't get to where the girls are, for example. Um, They can still see them, but the girl that's a little concerned right now has the ability to be able to stay away from him. And that could be a piece of what she's got going on now is that outside she can run away I'm sorry, not run away, but get away from him a little bit, and inside maybe doesn't have that much of an opportunity. I mean, but there, that kind of a, I may have connected dots there that have nothing to do with what's going on. But well, she has more personal space outside than she does in the house. That could be a part of it. That could very well be a part of it because a lot of times, anytime, well, I should say most times when I recommend that people are going to introduce a dog to the current dog in the house, it's always having that greeting happen outside because there's a less of a chance for something. Well, it's more of an open space and dogs can have that ability to more naturally display dog behaviors. So there could be some of that stuff going on. I would, like I said, I'm encouraged by the fact they're playing in the backyard. Um, and again, I would also then, this kind of sounds like one, if you don't, if you're seeing the same kind of things for a couple of more days, I would definitely reach out to a trainer to come in and just be able to kind of give you, give you, give you a view of what's going on and if it is, you know, if if there are some potential issues, you know, that may be able to be to be seen. But all right. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Good luck. Thank with you it. so much for your call. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye. Okay. All right. Well, on to a new caller that's uh, been holding quite some time. Hi, you're on Talking Animals. It's Ask the Trainer with Glenn Hatchell. Hi. Hi. Go ahead, please. 
Okay, regarding the uh, dogs that are afraid of loud noises, uh, we've had a lot of luck with uh, essential oils rescue remedy. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, rescue uh, remedy is one that's been around for a long time. Yeah, and it does want our dogs are afraid of uh, thunder and uh, fireworks and gunshots and yep. uh, when the, when a thunderstorm first makes noise, we give them some and calms them down a lot. Uh, question regarding: We have a nine-month-old uh, hound dog, Treeing Walker Coonhound, specifically. <laughs> as far as we know, she's a rescue dog, so that's uh -huh. an educated guess. But she likes to chew on things. Fortunately, not furniture or shoes, but she whips shrubs out of the ground, small trees, uh, dog beds. She, she chewed up a brand new dog bed. Uh, she'll run off with underwear and socks occasionally. Mm -hmm. um, but is there anything we can do to discourage that? Um, yeah, well, you can discourage it, or uh, I like to some ways think of let's encourage it on things that are okay for her to stress. She has <laughs> um, more chew toys, and uh, there are always hooks on the floor, uh, cow hooks, and uh, rope toys, and stuffed animals, and all kinds of things that yep. she has a lot of chew on. Well, at, at, at nine months, um, she's just her all of her well if if all of her adult teeth are in and they probably are um she's still got a lot of things going on in her mouth it's still one of the first things that she learned how to use so that's still her lead thing to find the world to discover the world through is through her mouth um i think probably a, there's a lot of dogs and especially that age that part of what they like to do from the chewing is really sh shred and destroy things which may be yes. why you're seeing like you're seeing like sticks and things along that line. I also think that probably if you think of sticks, there's also a lot of I'll call seasoning in it, whether it's from birds or you know just from being outside. You know, there's flavors that's probably in a stick that's not in you know other things they may have the opportunity to do. But I think part part of that chewing and wanting to chew up things like sticks goes back to the fact of her wanting to do something with her mouth. So that's why, one, I would think about trying to provide her things that are okay for her to chew up like that. But this is probably, this is something you're going to want to manage because, like you said, she also has the tendency to want to grab socks and underwear. Um, I think some of that could be, though, that you're on that. Your, your smell, I mean, that's part of you. So in a way, that's kind of like she's got some of you there. So I think going for that is probably a little more bonding and playing with you than necessarily chewing on the stick with the outside. But still, I think there's a development aspect that's still going on here. I would try ice cubes. Um, a lot of dogs that like to shred, that are shredders love ice cubes because they can bite it and it crunches. Um, yeah, she loves them. Yeah, perfect. So I would absolutely right now just can kind of continue to go along that line. Again, giving her the opportunity to do that with things that it's okay for her to do. And when she gets something that it's not, you know, just 
the easiest. I think the best way that I correct them, I mean, I'm sorry, the way that I correct them in a case like that, you need would be, you know, or some kind of little noise, but then giving them something that this you can do it with, but not what you have in your mouth right now. So you're, you, you let them continue to do it, but just on the things that they want to do. Now, I will also say, though, being, even if she's not exactly a tree walker, but if she is that hound, she her nose is going to be working constantly. So I would also, um, and you can search online to find nose work, and I would look at doing nose work kind of exercises with her. Um, and that could be like hiding hiding treats in a cardboard box. That one, she has to. She has the fun of trying to find the treats, but then she gets to destroy a cardboard box. So I've one of my dogs. That's her favorite thing to do: is find the treat out of the box and then destroy the box. Okay, great. That sounds very helpful. Thank you so much, caller. Thank you. So, Glenn, we got a couple more callers holding, and uh, somehow we're we're uh, sprinting towards the end of our time, but we still definitely have some time. Here's what may be a little bit simpler question that came in by way of uh, text. It says, is there an age of a dog when it can't learn new commands? I want to teach my seven-year-old dog some new commands. And, of course, I believe there's a cliche that uh, readily addresses this, but I uh, could be wrong. Right. Well, you know, most cliches are cliches because they're so true, but you can't teach an old dog new trick. Um, is I think more of a let's 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 put that in the myth category. Okay. Um, any dog that is motivated by something, um, you can get the, you can get that dog to do what you need. Now, granted, you know if we're talking about a twelve year old dog, you're not going to get that dog to go on a five mile hike, for example. So obviously, there's some realistic things we're talking about here. But um, um, no, at seven at seven years, especially, and when I say motivated, motivated by a reward to do something. So here at the shelter, I use treats. I usually, because we're in a shelter environment that has the greatest amount of stressors a dog can deal with, I use hot dogs, I use string cheese, I use liverwurst, I use lunch meat, I use all kind of really, really high value kind of things like that. Because what I'm looking for is something that dog's going to say, well, I really don't want to do that, but holy smokes, if you've got turkey lunch meat, yeah, what do you want me to do? And if we can find that motive, and for some dogs, that's a ball, you know, that's play and fetch. And if we can find that motivation, we can, you know, over time, usually be able to get that dog to do what we want to, what we want to do. Okay, thanks for that, and uh, that was a text question, so that we don't have any direct <laughs> response. But we have a quick cat question that we're going to try to work into a second. That also reminds me that one of the things I wanted to mention is that Friends of Strays, in celebration of National Black Cat Appreciation Day, which was uh, technically, I think, yesterday, but all, in, in celebration of that or appreciation of that day or all this week, uh, basically, uh, it is fee-free, I guess is the best way to put it here at WNF, uh, to adopt a black or mostly black cat or kitten for the entire week. So I think some donors have uh, made that possible financially with sponsoring that initiative. So, again, that's at uh, Friends of Strays, and uh, shelter is open to the public from 1 p.m. to 7 p.m. Wednesday through Friday and uh, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Saturday and Sunday. And friendsofstrays.org is where you could find out more about that. But uh, 
We have a real soft spot for black cats who often are the, the last to be adopted. So we've got two at our house right now, and one some years ago was partly responsible for uh, helping spur this show. So we, uh, we love black cats. Okay. So anyway. Yep. Okay, so uh, in fact, with that in mind, let's get to our cat question that came in um, by email. It says, I have two great rescued cats, Red and Lucky 5 and 3. <laughs> now that I'm retired, I want to train them to go outside on walks. You recommend doing that, and if so, can you give me information and help me through that process? Love you guys. Be safe and most of all, peace. Absolutely. I love walking cats on leash. Um, but it's one to where you can kind of train most dogs to do what you want, but when it comes to cats, it's kind of like, well, are you up for it or not? <laughs> um, so the challenge, I think, with cats is that if they don't want to do it, trying to get them through that fear of or past that fear of, oh, my gosh, I don't know what you have on me, um, but, you know, I can't move because of it. So with cats, I would, one, absolutely go with a harness. Um, You don't want to try to do it with a collar for multiple reasons, but you definitely want to go with a harness. You want to go with a back hook harness. I would look actually online. Again, I'm going to refer back to the Humane Society's website because there's a link out. Actually, within on the training resource, there is a cat behavior problem section. Um, And one of the links out there is to a, um, a trainer up in New England, uh, Jones Animal Behavior, and she does a tremendous amount of work with cats, and I think she has some stuff out there about harness training your cat. Um, but it is possible, but again, if your cat is an indoor cat to begin with, they want to go outside most likely because that's just natural for a cat, but there's still a lot of fear involved with it. So um it's it's fun to try to do it, but I also would encourage you to keep your expectations low as far as the success. Um, but there's acclimation protocols of getting your cat, one, to not be scared of this harness, and then starting to put it on um, him or her, uh, whichever one you try first, and always letting them decide, okay, now I'm ready to make the next step. So it could be that you may be really successful of getting the harness on and maybe even hooking the leash to it. But when you try to go outside, your cat says, nope, can't do this portion of it. So it may take a while, but um, I would absolutely encourage you to try it because I have done it and I know a number of people who do take their cats for walks. So it can be done. Yes, it can. And I would keep your expectations low. Right. Okay, cool. (laughs) All right, well, let's get back to a call. This one's been holding for quite some time, so we're glad to uh, make sure we get them included as well. Hi, you're on Talking Animals. It's Ask the Trainer with Glenn Hatchell. Thanks for your patience, too, by the way. Hello? Hello, it's you. Go ahead. Did you have a question for Glenn? Oh, it's me? Yeah, it's your turn. Please go ahead. Okay, great. This is Mel in Sun City Center. I'm a pet sitter and a dog walker, and I just adopted a dog a couple of months ago. He's a Sheltie Terrier mix, and he's doing real well at stopping the nipping and jumping and barking. But when I take him on a walk, he has a total meltdown if he sees a squirrel. And I mean screaming wildly, jumping, pulling, absolutely can't control him. I've tried a water pistol. I've tried toys because he's very toy motivated. Um, I got a bungee cord leash, which helps. But, I mean, he is absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, the what you want to do without getting too much jargon, what you need to find is a protocol that will help desensitize that reaction he has to seeing the squirrels. Um, 
it's it's something that isn't that unusual, but with some dogs, we've obviously, well, I'd put this in a category of prey drive, and yes. prey drive can be the most, and this is actually a quote from Temple Grandin, someone who Duncan has interviewed a number of times, <laughs> prey drive is the most difficult thing in a dog to break. Um, and part of it is it's such a natural behavior. Um, right. Now, I'm curious, is it just squirrels? If he sees a cat, does he have a, any sort of a similar reaction? He, is, he has actually been in touch with cats and was afraid of them. Mm-hmm. However, he has the same reaction with frogs, which is worrisome. I can't let him out at night yeah. in the backyard. But, um, but the squirrels... If, if, if a cat was that? running away, if a cat was running, have you ever seen that scenario where a cat went running across the street? Did, would no. he, I'm, okay, I was just wondering if there was a yeah. motion to it. No, but um, but he has he does he does know that birds fly, so he doesn't yep. go after birds. But the squirrels is and what I've been doing the last couple of days is I've been taking him for walks where I know there are a lot of squirrels, and he seems to have calmed down a bit on the screaming, but he still is doing the pulling, jumping, and all of that. But it's the screaming that I mean, it sounds like I'm killing my dog. Oh no! I, yeah, I can, I can, um, I can imagine exactly the sound that you're talking about there. So I think there's a couple of things I would recommend. One, I'm probably if you do a search for um, desensitizing a dog to something, mm-hmm. um, you will probably find, or I'm sure you will find some protocols and people who come to mind are like Karen, uh, Karen Pryor or um, Victoria Stillwell will have protocols out there about doing some of that desensitizing. Um, considering that it's squirrels, taking him in that area is not a bad idea, but what you want to be able to do is get him, instead of looking at all the squirrels, getting more interested in you. So the long-term mm-hmm. goal being instead of, oh, my gosh, there's a squirrel, I've got to kill it, is, oh, my gosh, there's a squirrel. Mom, do you have another piece of cheese for me? And okay. that, that reaction is going to you first. Now, this sounds simple and easy. Trust me, with what you described, it's not going to be a quick <laughs> process. And part of it, because you said there, it's really not that distracted by toys and other things in that moment. So part of the challenge, number one, is going to be find something, one, that he's got interest in, but also being far enough away from the squirrels that he sees them but doesn't have that, oh, my gosh, I've got to go over there and kill them. He just sees them and, but still at his moment wants to look back at you because that's that little window to when you can start changing right. the behavior. Because right. if he's already lunging and stuff like that, he's kind of past that point. And yeah, that's, that, and, and that's, my, and that's my problem. It's really hard to anticipate it. But exactly. He's, and, and he's again, so he's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, there are there's there's a couple of trainers that are down in the Ruskin area who mm-hmm. have done some things in their past with a lot of positive reinforcement and things along that line that I would encourage you to try to seek them out to give you maybe give you some help with this as well. But it is something, again, like I said, there's some things you can go through, but if there is a true prey drive, I mean, if if it's a real heavy prey drive there, it could be a challenge. But if you've listened through the show as well and heard me talk about Thunder Shirts, I would absolutely Mm -hmm. think that being an option of trying a Thunder Shirt because it could calm him down 
just enough to where his reaction to the squirrels is not as intense as it is right now. And that's the first thing that you want to do is try to figure out a way that we can reduce that intensity of his re- of his reaction, his response to them. And mm-hmm. undershirt for some dogs, not all dogs. And I'm guessing in this case, considering the intensity you're talking about, the odds of success may be a little bit lower. But since there's no, since there's not any negative side effects, that's why I always say, right. well, it's trying a thunder shirt <laughs> yeah. to see if that will it's, help it's, a little bit. Okay, it's thanks. Really, it's really not good for the dog walker to have a dog having a meltdown. <laughs> yeah, that, that seems tricky. Okay, we got to scoot. I'm so sorry, but thank you thank so you. much for your question and your time. Okay, Glenn, so a quick thing. If we have one other uh, couple quick emails, I'll try to work in, but I just want to mention that next week on Talking Animals, my guest will be Michael Weber, director of the Conservation Game, a documentary that explores, among other issues, television celebrity conservationists and how many of them are connected to the exotic big cat trade. Uh, you'll never look at Jack Hanna the same way again, let's put it that way. So I also invite you to visit TalkAnimals.net for audio archives of every show we ever broadcast, links to the social media, Sign up for our newsletter, find out about guests, et cetera, a little bit beforehand and more. So that's that. So we got uh, people writing in in response to some of our previous callers or emailers. So one says, biting and chewing. This is, this is going to solve both their problems very quickly for Donna and the ankle biter. Wear an old pair of socks and put hot, some hot sauce where the dog bites. After a few times of them biting, they will stop. And same with other caller with the dog chewing stuff up, making a hot pepper spray for items you don't want to chew. Works great. So I don't know if you have a quick response to that, Glenn. Um, well, you don't really know what the dog's going to take the negative response from because some dogs, in that case of being on there, the dog's going to say, well, I'm going to just avoid that person. <clears throat> so some things like that, if you go with something that's aversive, there are they can backfire. So that's the risk there. Yeah. Okay. And this one also kind of added for chewing, including on dangerous stuff like power cords. Bitter apple is a godsend. It's non-toxic. And you only have to taste it once or twice to never chew that kind of thing again. So I guess that would maybe fall into a similar category to what you just mentioned. Um, bitter apple is not hot sauce. Okay, that's good. That, that's a good point. Yeah, I guess that, that's a different uh, thing. So, uh, all right, well, next time we do this, which I hope there will be a next time, I, I was going to work in my own question about my, our own dog, but um, some things uh, that, were, that came up did, did touch on that, and we're sort of nearing the end of our time. So there was one other question I thought we could maybe try to uh, work in that I had skipped over inadvertently that came in early on. Let me see if I can quickly find it. Okay, so this is, uh, hi, Glenn, uh, Duncan and Glenn. I have two loving female pity mixes, seven, six and 11. I have two issues with them, distractions, leash pulling from cats, squirrels, etc. jumping up and being given attention. They like to compete for affection. So uh, we've sort of got about maybe 20, 30 seconds. Sorry, Glenn, maybe I shouldn't even have gone into that one. Oh, that's, that, that, that's pretty typical. I mean, that's a dog that's looking for a lot of affection and basically yeah. learning a greeting routine of, oh, there's a person. If you sit, they'll pet you. Yeah, okay. So, all right, we'll just let it the go. The answers sometimes are so much simpler than actually the execution. Yeah. <laughs> okay, great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Glenn Hatchell. He's the Behavior and Enrichment Manager for the Humane Society of Tampa Bay. That website that he's alluded to a couple times is humanesocietytampa.org, and hopefully we'll do this again sometime. Thanks for all our great questions and, and calls and emails and texts. And, uh, Glenn, thank you again. This is Talking Animals on WMF Tampa. Thanks.